Hey everyone, welcome back. This is your host AZ and today I had a wonderful conversation with Kelsey Bailey and this is part two of a several part series that includes members that are either employees or contractors with South Metro Fire. Kelsey Bailey is a performance dietitian and she spent over seven years in special operations with the 10th Special Forces Group. And she's currently a consulting dietitian with the Colorado Rockies, the Colorado Avalanche, and Lakewood Police Department, in addition to South Metro Fire. Kelsey and I had a great conversation. I know you're going to enjoy it. As always, please give me a rating and share the podcasts with someone you know. Thank you for joining me on the Fire Rescue Wellness Podcast. I'm your host, AZ. I find the research and resources and then provide the fire service with the so what, now what, to ensure the health and well-being of every member of our profession. Together, let's thrive. I'll fix it. (laughs) Okay, listeners, welcome to the Fire Rescue Wellness Podcast. Today, I am with my friend, badass dietitian, Kelsey Bailey. Kelsey, welcome to the show and say hello. Thank you so much. Hello, listeners. I have been looking forward to having Kelsey for a really long time. And interestingly enough, listeners, this is part two of, I'm affectionately calling it the South Metro Badassery. Because last week you heard from Chris Macklin. This week you're going to hear from Kelsey. And then we have a few more people coming up. So, Kelsey, I think you've listened to at least one episode. So you probably know the format. So the first question I'm going to ask you is basically, who is Kelsey Bailey? Yes. Yeah. Thank you for inviting me on and for having me. Um, I'm a performance dietitian um, for my little LLC her name is Be Well. Uh, she was a dream for a long time and now is now is my reality. Um, but I was with special operations for eight years prior to that. So have been in the tactical space for a little under a decade. But uh, from Western Kansas, live in Colorado, um, Midwest girl at heart, but love the mountains. Well, and Kelsey, I think you're being a little bit like, I, I feel like you should brag on it a little bit more. You were the performance dietitian for a 10th group, right? Yes. For 10th Special Forces group. Yep. And then currently in my role with Be Well, I function with South Metro Fire, um, with Lakewood Police, um, the Colorado Rockies and the Colorado Avalanche. She's just casually doing it all. Incredible. <laughs> yeah, maybe jack of all trades, master of none of them. I'm not sure which is which. <laughs> no, I think you're probably master of all of them. All right. So now we know who you are. Kelsey, what sets your soul on fire? Um, helping others, I would say. I was thinking about some of the questions you've asked former guests and really why I do the work that I do and why I feel so passionate about it is I get to come into work every day and be grossly humbled by the people that I work with which is the greatest gift I could possibly ask for. So everybody else gets to sleep easier at night because of the work that our first responders and that our military do for our communities. And so I find it to be my greatest honor to be their support while they're supporting our communities. That's such a good answer. I just got to let that sink in for a second. Also, I'm picturing Jack Nicholson. (laughs) You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall. Kelsey keeps us on the wall. Yeah. I like that. Kelsey, uh, I have been, this is a bad habit that I've been doing lately. I end up going on a tangent during the three questions. I think, unless I was hallucinating, I'm pretty sure 
that I saw some pictures of you on social media not so long ago with my favorite scientist, Abby Smith Ryan. Is that fact or did I make that up? That is fact. Tell me about what what you were doing in D.C. Also my idol. (laughs) I know, Abby's the best. Okay, tell me what you were doing in D.C. I think she's amazing. She's um, amazing. She was with Dr. Stacy Sims, so I felt like I was just dying with uh, admiration. <laughs> I am unworthy. I am unworthy. Um, <laughs> but we went um, with a, a supplement company, had funded kind of a, a lobbying group, um, and it really is to get um, better access to care. For the the point of it all was better access to care. Um, for women in the military, but also women in general. And so there are three kind of pillars of health and research um, and military looking at what are we doing? Where are their pitfalls? Um, where is there just gross gaps that exist? And how are we working to, to attenuate those gaps? And so I was truly so humbled. I, the biggest amount of imposter syndrome I've ever had in working with, you know, men for a bulk of my career, but having this gross passion for women and women's health, um, kind of tagging right alongside that. So it really was a huge opportunity to, to get good advocacy work. And it, it, what I love about it is that it hasn't stopped. You know, some of, sometimes there's events like that and you're like, great momentum. This is awesome. We really want to see change. And then it kind of fizzles out. Um, but just a few weeks ago, um, Jill Biden and Marie Shriver were in the White House getting the Women's Health Initiative signed um, for increased funding for women's health. And so really there are, when it feels like the big rock, big hill, those are my favorite <laughs> passion projects. Like just get me into the work. Um, let's start pushing. So that that was um, the event that I was with her at. So listeners, you might not have ever considered this, but there has not been a lot of research done on females. In fact, many studies don't include females at all because historically the researchers have said, well, it's just too hard to control for the menstrual cycle. And granted, maybe, yes, but our mutual friend, Abby Smith-Ryan, has basically put her tiny foot down and said, enough, enough. We need to do research on women for women, focusing on women, and she is incredible. And hopefully she's going to be on the show pretty soon. Kelsey, if you can kind of like nudge her too. <laughs> Perfect. I've been working on Abby for a while. Um, okay. She also, so- just an interesting aside of what you said, she's also teaching other research institutions how to do research on women appropriately. Yes. So that answer of like, it's too hard is no longer acceptable when there's people who are willing to coach you through it. Yeah. Not a valid excuse. Oh, here we go. More rabbit holes. We'll get to the third question eventually. But, you know, I had some researchers on maybe about four or five months ago. They were uh, they do research on textiles and specifically on firefighting gear. And what they have heard for the longest time is it's just not, quote unquote, worth it to worry about female patterns, the female form, whatever, because there's such a small percentage in the fire service. And so I just love that. Um, Meredith and Cassandra were like, that's enough of that bullshit too. Mm-hmm. So yep. advocacy and is important. So important. And same thing with like military gear, like body armor is not designed for the female body. And that increases your risk, your liability, yeah. your health, your safety. Yeah. Your risk of injury. Absolutely. 
All right, let's get to the third question. Kelsey, I mean, we pretty much already answered it, but how are you changing the world? Um, uh, I feel like I'm just not even worthy to answer this question, but (laughs) (laughs) I like to think that I'm doing it in like the best way that I know how, Um, which is maybe with the person right in front of me, if I'm sitting down with a client um, and or on the bigger scale, what are we doing to actually move the space forward? And that's where I really have a heart for some of the advocacy work and educating other professionals, especially dietitians um, in this space to like, let's level up, let's bring everyone's education where it needs to be. If you want to jump into the fire service, if you want to jump into police, um, let's understand what is unique about these communities, what we can bring to the table as dietitians, um, and really, again, give that support to the people who are constantly working in our communities because they so deserve it. Outstanding. Absolutely outstanding. So you are currently a contractor with mm-hmm. South Metro. Correct. And so tell me, what does that look like? How do you work with their personnel in general? We'll get to the, like, what should our firefighters be doing specifically later? But how do you work with South Metro's personnel? Such a good question because um, it's morphed over time. So I really started baby consulting with them in 2018 and it was occasionally like the wellness program, athletic trainers, if pe- someone was in rehab or there was an individual of concern, then we would get a referral. And so it started off kind of grassrooty that way. And then um, earlier this year, I was sitting down with Macklin and um, Nick Bartley, who's my um direct supervisor. And we were like, if we're going to do this, we've got to do it. If we want to show what this model can actually look like in the way that we know it in the military to look like, we got to do it. We just got to jump. And so really since February, we started bringing in some of the bigger initiatives that I see as bringing value into an organization. And that's integration with the rehabilitation process. That's integration into are we prepped for our annual METS test? That's integration into annual physicals and working with our embedded doc of what, what are the best things that we should be testing? How are we communicating on them? Not only clinical norms, but performance norms. Are they actually internalizing the uh, idea of a tactical athlete? So talking to the line in that way, how are we best supporting you for the job you need to do and at home? Um, And so we've kind of brought in some fun initiatives throughout the year. We've designed a rehab kit for rehab to help get folks back, you know, just a little bit um, quicker back onto service and maybe a little bit better hydrated and a little bit better fueled back onto service. Um, And we're working on some like hydroponic farms at some of the, at one of the stations where they're growing their own greens and growing their own herbs and, um, have some, you know, lofty goals, uh, with stuff like that. But I think that looking at that big picture of, it's almost like a dietetic internship where you're like, we have our community work and here's what we're doing in our community. And here's what we're doing in ways that we can support educating children that come through the fire station about healthy eating. And then we have our performance, which is, we have our diving teams and we have our wildland teams and we have our, um, folks that do more stuff in mountain work and, Uh, how are we educating them on the performance on the actual job? And then we have the clinical side. We obviously know cardiovascular disease and cancer are issues, but also hormonal health and how are we addressing those appropriately? So I I think about the dietitian's role as kind of like that, that same dietetic internship. That's why they exposed us to it all because there's so many aspects of nutrition that hit all these different areas. So that's always my 
my goal. So I would say we're, we're still in the growing phase, but it, it's been unbelievably rewarding um, of a process thus far this year. And if I remember correctly, I think Chris said you have around, is it 800 firefighters? Is that correct? Line members, yep. 800 line members. And so, Kelsey, is your role primarily educating them in, say, groups and with handouts? and, Or are you really striving to meet these people one-on-one, or does it just depend? It's a total mix, actually. And I think in a good way and maybe an organic way. Um, where we integrate in into different ways. So I can go to the stations and do education at the kitchen table, which is probably the most fun. Um, obviously the one-on-ones, um, especially with one-on-ones, I always welcome family members to participate. So if there's a spouse that's involved, um, I'm, I always joke that you shouldn't be eating by yourself. Ideally, that'd be sad. <laughs> so um, we like to bring in family members to make sure that that message is hitting th- how it would fit for the whole family. Um, so the, those kind of tag team both, but in, in more of like group dissemination of information, um, we kind of integrate into training in different ways. So we had a fire cycle earlier this year where we introduced the rehab kit. So in those types of instances, all the line members are going through those trainings. So you interact with everybody in that setting as they come through kind of the same thing with annual physicals as especially next year, we're revamping how we're doing it, but, um, they'll be, we'll be sitting down face to face with every single one, myself, a doc, our PA reviewing all the lab work. What does that mean? Um, so in those ways you get to see everyone individually, which is not realistic. I like for the entire year, but, is a really great touch point for at least a yearly check-in with all the, the line members. And Kelsey, you mentioned, if I heard you correctly, you're a performance dietitian, correct? Yes. Yeah. Sports okay. dietitian, performance. Sports, sports dietitian. <laughs> In tactical, we usually say performance because it's a little bit more appropriate for our type of job. Okay. And I obviously know what that means, but a, a department, an agency, or a listener might not know what what is the difference between a sports dietitian or performance dietitian and, say, the dietitian you see in the hospital once you get a diagnosis of, say, diabetes or something like that. What's the difference and why is it important? It's the best question. Um, first, I guess I would say that for most of the jobs, at least military-wise, and hopefully we'll be setting the standard for um, fire moving forward is that there's a credential that's needed for that, which is a certified specialist in sports dietetics. So it's uh, additional hours that you have to log. It's an additional credentialing exam you have to get. So that brings in the sport and performance, um, I would say, baseline knowledge required for a performance dietitian. What I think is really unique about tactical is I always joke it's like sports on crack because you often don't know your environment. It's going to be way less controlled on timing um, and duration and potentially what the mission set might be, whether that's you're going to a fire call, you're having to spurt down a perpetrator, you're um, going on a mission set in the military. So that will, all of those things change what the performance necessary for the job looks like. And I often joke that performance might be that aspect of the job, what people think is like the cool part, sexy part. Uh, But it also might be, are you at your desk for a huge portion of the day and you're having to maintain focus? That's a part, part of your job. That's a part of, part of how you have to perform for your work. So how are we helping you support that? And 
in that includes reduction of long-term disease because that keeps you on the job longer, that gets you back to work more quickly after an injury. So I think about performance nutrition as hitting a lot of those different aspects. And again, and uniquely for tactical is the sleep and stress. We have to consider those. And um, beyond additional training that a lot of us have received, that that's not going to be, that's like on the job training. A lot of it you learn as you go, but um, our professional organization, um, the Collegiate and Professional Sports Dietetic Association created a special interest group this year specifically for tactical dietitians for that reason. What additional education do we need to make sure that we're able to serve those who are serving us as best as we possibly can? I feel like there should be a whole unit of extra education on how to interface with the weirdness at the firehouse. Kelsey, how did you, I mean, you came from the military, so you had some semblance of probably what you were walking into, but we're a weird animal. How did you sort of assimilate into the weirdness? Honestly, I, I think it's funny because um, the old adage, you're never a prophet in your own home. Right. So in the military, it was cool if I was doing work for professional sport and fire. It's cool. if You, you know, like the, you've done work in the military. So there was some of that like grandfathered acceptance, I suppose, that I came in with. Um, but I think so much of it is social and situational awareness as part of it, uh, understanding where, where you fit. And that's, that's a hard one to teach. I've had interns my entire career and I love them, but it's a hard one to teach. Um, and then also a willingness to put yourself in their shoes and a, and a humbleness in saying, I, I know my job, but I want to learn from your job. And that was always my approach in any training I did military or fire is that willingness to be like, this is my opportunity to be grossly humbled in whatever type of random training you'd like to put me through. So we did a maze training for one of our fire cycles this year. So I got fitted for my SCBA and put on all the gear and put on the blinder and got uncomfortable just like they would need to so that I can put myself in their shoes and really try to, to relate to how does nutrition fit? What makes sense to integrate? What on these advice pieces of advice where they're like, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to do that. It doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. So I like to see those as opportunities of like just learning how to do the job a little bit better. And how'd you do in the maze, Kelsey? Um, I was so stressed out. Were you stressed out? Yeah. I have such bad claustrophobia. And so it's a good, good. We, I have my cognitive performance person with us um, who, and I've worked with them long enough to know the, the rehearsals to do cognitively. Um, but it always is a nice uh, humbling experience to, to feel stuck, to feel uncomfortable, you know, like clearing the wires above your head and coaching on the swim. And I'm like sweating, sweating profusely. <laughs> so it was good. Well, you brought up an interesting point and I've had a couple of dietitians previously on the podcast, both Megan Louts and Maureen Stockline. Yes. And they brought up idols. This, aren't they great? <laughs> so They're good. such nice ladies, but they brought up the same point, which is we don't know when the performance, quote unquote, our performance is. For example, I work in a mildly busy department. I would say we run on average out of my station 
10 and 12 calls a day, maybe 15. But last shift when I was working, we had not one, not two, but three general alarms for a call of a structure fire. Now, all three, one, two, three, turned out to be nothing. Two of them were heater malfunctions. (laughs) And one of them was someone saw through a window, um, the house was under construction and they had a salamander heater in there to keep it warm. And they saw the flames quote unquote through the window. So it was zero fires, but in theory, we could have had been first in on three structure fires. So with that information, Kelsey, how do you start to educate your firefighters on, on fueling? I mean, how do you even start? Yeah, I think about the reserve. So in those instances, it's unrealistic. We're going to get a full recovery. Um, and so what, what's our reserve? What's our foundation that we're banking on for times of not perfect nutrition or not ideal timing of nutrients? Um, what, what are we relying back on? And, and any dietitian ever probably that you'll talk to will say that always goes back to energy availability, carbohydrate availability. Um, what are you doing? Just what are, what are we doing day in and day out with the meals and snacks? Do we have enough reserves? As if gas tank, so to speak of, um, carbohydrates is half full, third full, and we're trying to pull on stores to fight an actual fire that's intensely carbohydrate demanding. Um, and in a world of, um, I always say carbs have a really bad marketing manager. Um, <laughs> they, need, they need some help on that. But uh, really understanding before those events happen, the risk that you're putting to yourself and to your team if you're not well-fueled. And I think when we reframe it as you become a liability for your team, sometimes that can increase motivation on actually paying more attention to it in the day-to-day life. Um, South Metro's schedule is a little different than some other um, departments as I'm learning, Um, but they do 48s. And so that four days is a huge opportunity to look at how am I refilling that gas tank? How am I refueling? Um, Knowing that there could be subsequent uh, back-to-back-to-back calls where I'm going to need to be on. Um, but I, oh, I'm a huge advocate too, and this is part of our design of the, these rehab kits, and I think that they can kind of morph into other things further, but what do we keep on the rig? What do we have available coming on site for, for those scenes? Um, what's going to be easy, easily digestible, almost like the throw-and-go? Like how can I throw it into my mouth and keep going on with my, my day? Um, but really equipping not only the rigs, but the stations with the appropriate um, materials needed to best refuel quickly and rehydrate quickly um, to keep people a little bit more safe on all these all more intense calls, I would say. So let's table the refuel and rehydrate for one second. I'm yeah. writing it down because we're coming back to it. Put a pin in it. <laughs> Put a pin in it. Let's talk about basic, what should I be doing? What should our firefighters be doing on a baseline level every day, just to make sure that they're where they need to be in terms of protein intake, carbohydrates, fats, basics. Let's talk basics and I'll write the pin down so we don't forget. Yeah. Keep eating. It's my motto. 
keep eating. I love it. <laughs> when in doubt, keep eating. Um, the, I guess that's such a loaded question because I'm, I'm sure, again, any dietitian would be like, it depends. But yeah. it does. It would depend um, on what that training volume looks like. Sometimes people are training for things in the outside world, outside of just their job. Um, but like baseline, normal recommendations, all humans ever, are we eating 80% of our food from real whole food? Do we know what it looks like? Can we read the food, the ingredients on the label? Is that 80% of the time knowing 20% of the time, send it. We're going to need to have something that is a convenient, more convenient food item. We're going to need something that is a more packaged or more processed food item, or those are likely going to be incorporated into the day in some form or fashion, even uh, protein powder is a considered a ultra processed food item. Um, so I think it's clearing out verbiage, but really going back to, are we eating real food? Does it, does it require a laundry list of ingredients or can we easily identify what it is on our plate? And then we build accordingly for performance. So sometimes like the easy go back to is the, um, USOPC's, uh, athletes plates, um, with the low, moderate, and high training volumes, we start education from the plate out, um, looking at periodizing nutrition. You know, if it's a lighter day, we don't need a huge amount of carbohydrates. If it's a higher volume day, we might need more. If we don't know what kind of day it is, we better play, play safe in the middle. And then on our off days, we can titrate down if we need to. But really, uh, I, I joke that if it's good enough for Olympic athletes, it's probably good enough for firefighters to, to start there, at least from, the, from their uh, athlete plates, which are really a helpful visual. I really like that. And I think the important thing that you just said, and I want to restate it in case somebody was, I don't know, had a mini seizure, a TIA, is that we don't know. So let's start somewhere in the middle. And I do like the ISSN position stand on tactical athlete fueling. What they said is, we don't know, but maybe let's start where a healthy, active adult would start in terms of their calories, protein, carbohydrates, and fats. And then, as Kelsey said, titrate from there. So um, Megan, our mutual friend, she says something that I love, which is if you get a protein in a plant... At every meal, you're doing better than like 90% of the population. And so how, as our, as our firefighters are going to the grocery store and they're trying to figure out what to make for their shift, how can they sort of in the back of their mind go protein plant and build around that? What advice could you give them with that? Yeah, I have a very similar kind of, I call it like an equation that Ooh, you think about for your real it. time. So we start with a protein portion size of that pretty much always stays the same. Um, we add in two colors. You got Ooh. green. Can you get red? If you got orange, can you get purple? Just two colors, take away the stress of whatever else for a lot of meals at my personal house, it's chopping up spinach and peppers and putting it into ground beef, putting it into our chicken, um, adding in nutrient density without changing the whole framework of the meal. So yes. two colors, um, we add in some sort of complex carbohydrate based off of the training day, and then we make it taste good. How are we incorporating fat? How are we incorporating um, flavors, herbs, spices um, to make it taste good so that it's not chicken and brown rice and broccoli, chicken and brown rice and broccoli forever and for always, um, but looking at increasing our nutrient density across uh, each mealtime. And then the last one that I've added more recently is how do we make it fresh? 
Um, so can we elevate? Can we put fresh herbs on top? Are we going to help chelate some heavy metals that we're being exposed to through some increased herb incorporation into our mealtime? So cilantro is a great example of higher exposure to heavy metal, especially in our um, law enforcement populations that can help chelate some heavy metals and help with their excretion. So looking at how are we utilizing our food strategically to help all the things that we need to do that relate back to work, but understanding their why. Because, yeah, it's like fun and cool and I guess maybe makes your food taste good. It makes it feel a little more elevated if we have that that aspect. But really the purpose of what does it matter for your work? How does it bring in for your life? So that's always the equation I go back to. Protein, two colors, complex carb, some sort of starch. Make it taste good. Make it fresh. All right. Quiz time, Kelsey. Yeah. What's your protein? We're putting together a meal. Protein, okay, go. My protein is, I'll do what we did last night. We had ground beef. Okay. Two colors. We had spinach and peppers chopped in. Okay. Complex carb. We had tacos. So it was uh, corn tortillas. Sweet. What did you put on it to make it taste good? Please say avocado. Avocado and cheese. Oh, <laughs> queen. And then I bet you're fresh. Was it cilantro? Yeah. For that particular meal. Yep. I love it. This is so good yeah. because you could literally put this on a tiny index card, laminate it and stick it in their pocket and they can go to the grocery store and go protein, two colors, complex carb, something to make it taste good, something to make it fresh. Yeah. <gasps> and it helps like in the meal planning for the week as a family as well. If you can sit down and say, what do we have in the freezer? Okay, let's plan our proteins. We got that covered. What do we have in the fridge? Is it farmer's market time? Is there fresh abundance on fruit and veg? Or let's see what's in season and more affordable right now. So it really allows for a lot of flexibility in planning. I think where sometimes people get hung up, especially probably <laughs> Megan and Maureen are both like, meal plans. When uh, people get a meal, meal plan, plans. it's just like they feel so locked in and lose that creativity. And how do we build a meal that my family likes, that is part of my culture, is part of our social situation, like the beautiful part about food um, but really making it accessible. And we've tried to do that at South Metro too. I created kind of like a recipe Google sheets that all the stations have access to. So if they're like stuck and they don't know what to do for a meal time, they can go in and kind of click on one of those. I have my modifications that if it's a recipe from online, what do I modify with it? Do my kids like it? Meaning most people at the station probably like it. Yes, children. Um, yeah. Um, so that's been helpful and hopefully like generating some ideas and, um, getting people to think more creatively outside the box and stuff that they actually have the skills to do. It just is a matter of helping reframe it in a way that feels digestible. No pun intended. <laughs> so good. Well, and the thing is with meal plans, people, people ask me for meal plans all the time. And my first answer is like, I'm not a dietitian. I cannot give you a meal plan, but, but please, can you just give me some ideas? Well, you're not going to learn anything right. because if the meal plan says, uh, whatever hamburger, spinach, blah, blah, blah. And you haven't learned what Kelsey just taught us after you're sick of eating what the meal plan said to eat, you're back at pizza hut. Yeah. You follow it for a week and then you're done. Bored. Yeah, because it's I'm bored. <laughs> it's effing boring. Yeah. Kelsey, this is pure gold. Like we could drop the mic right now, but I don't want to because we want to keep talking about more. So we put a pin on in. I'm sorry, we put a pin in refueling and rehydrating. And you mentioned what's available in the stations and what's available on the trucks. Tell me more about that. Um 
I guess I think I see this as a huge area of opportunity in fire. And as we started to design these rehab kits, basically just like a higher sodium formula, a little snack item to help as you're bringing heart rate down post a, a, a more challenging training or event. Um, but how are we actually bringing this into where it probably needs to be, which is on the rigs and the stations? Let's be doing preventative work or prophylactic care to help offset some bigger instances of dehydration post a training and bigger instances of inadequate fueling, especially like from a carbohydrate perspective. Do we have things like waffles or goos or chews or gels or whatever it might be that people like, but something that can easily be tossed in knowing like, oh, I'm on my way to a big call. Like, we got to get going. Or we have even a big training coming up. Am I fueled for the type of work I'm being asked to of pulling hose or throwing ladders? These are intensely um, demanding trainings and, and and calls that people can go on. So looking at how do we how do we reframe that? And I think it's interesting when you compare against um, some of like the military resources. So we have like the MREs or in the um, special operations community, they have a commercial off the shelf list where they're able to order specific items that are meant for training. Things like protein drinks and like your goos and chews and gels and hydration packets. Um, and looking at how do we bring that same idea into fire? Because what's hard is that it, it puts an increased cost on the individual for sure. And I know there's always conversations on budget. Um, and so it's looking at what's the why behind it. And we know that, what is it, like 80, 90% of firefighters are coming into any training that they go into dehydrated. It's like, are we getting maximally what we want out of that training if we're coming in deficient? And I think there's a time and a place for purposeful training in a not ideally fueled state, but the bulk of our training should not be done in a compromised state of fueling and hydration because we want to try and optimize adaptation that we're looking to get. And I know that's so much of um, your passion and work is like, let's train appropriately for what we're actually being demanded to do and making sure we're being smart about it. Um, and so I see that as a, a, a big opportunity. I wouldn't say we have it quite figured out yet, but we're playing around with different ideas and these little like pelican cases that could like shove into a drawer somewhere. Or, I, don't, I don't know. We're still trying to figure it out exactly right. But I, getting, the, getting the products where the people are, I know is a, a huge aspect of importance in that. And the feedback from the crews was just, abundant of we would love this in the station we would love this on the right because i would like to be doing this work ahead of time like i i want to be doing that preload and postload of of electrolytes and um fuel so yeah we're still in the process i think of developing that but from what i can understand and i'm i'm a baby into fire so i i hesitate to um say that i know know much of the whole landscape but um, I couldn't find anything that existed quite yet of like, do we have a framework of what that looks like or what we would even recommend right now? We're going based off a of sport and we're kind of going based off of military research. Um, basically we just know that firefighters show up to most trainings dehydrated, but what's the best for them. So we're taking, we're kind of pulling from other, other entities to fill in the gaps. Are you using a specific brand of oral rehydration or is it kind of whatever the contract got renewed for yeah on there's not a, i'm not married to any one brand so um 
ones that we utilized a lot in the military was drip drop. Um, Costco has the liquid IV. Um, Scratch Labs has one called Wellness that is a higher sodium formula. The right stuff is a higher sodium formula. Um, so any of those have a combination of the carbohydrate and electrolyte. And a lot of times it's like, what do, what fits the budget? What do people prefer? And, um, stuff like that. So. And what tastes good. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What are people actually going to drink? (laughs) How much chirping is Kelsey going to get about carbohydrates being present in things? I love okay. listeners. You can't see it, but Kelsey was like with her fingers doing the chirping bird. Chirp, it chirp, was chirp. so good. Chirp, chirp, chirp. <laughs> well, I am retiring in about four months now, which is super oh exciting. Gosh, so exciting. And my department has finally realized that, oh, she's really leaving. We should maybe like utilize her for some lectures. Like I haven't done lectures for years now. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, we should utilize her for some lectures. And one of the big things that everyone always wants to talk about is nutrition. And so I'm just developing a lecture kind of based on the ISSN position stand basics. But I did a survey prior to the lecture asking people, what do they want to know about nutrition? And it was, you know, questions like when to eat, how much to eat, blah, blah, blah. And one of the things that I asked was, um, I know exactly what to eat. I just don't want to. I'm not motivated to do so. That was a click box. And like 90% of people clicked the box. I was like, holy shit. How do we get past? Because here's the thing. We're sleep deprived. We're traumatized. We eat for comfort. We eat for the like family experience. And sometimes we just don't give a royal flying crap. How do we break through that motivation part, Kelsey? The mic is yours. Yeah, it's such a phenomenal question to ask and in framing it that way and giving that as a checkbox. Because my initial answer before you said we're, we're sleep deprived and stressed is that's the why. Mm-hmm. What's the why of like, and that's the general population as a whole is most people I'm not like trying to convince most individuals that vegetables and fruit are, should be incorporated into a, an appropriate diet or protein should be incorporated and dairies, as long as you tolerate it can be great. And most people understand that that's a thing with regard to eating more healthfully. But if we don't understand the social situation, if we don't understand the nature of the job, if we don't understand culture, if we don't understand financial constraints, um, cooking skills even, um, it's like deaf ears. We're falling on deaf ears. So um, with those, I always try to go back to what has the biggest um, string to pull for people's heartstrings of motivation, if you will. Mm -hmm. And on that, what I found at least that resonates a lot in the male population and in my time of military and uh, initial time here in fire is talking about hormonal health, I think is like a, a big one that people are constantly wanting to talk about. And food is a enormous contributor to that. And so if we don't eat enough, you can bet your bottom that the priority is not going to be reproduction the priority is going to be survival. And when we can talk to people about those things, some of those little groundworks can over time be that reminder and then figuring out how do we fit it into the environment. You know, 
Dr. Joyce did such wonderful work in her research um, in Oklahoma with just setting out fresh fruit and vegetables and nuts and seeds and increase goes up of all these healthful food items just by having them around. It's the same thing of like the um, kind lady down the street who baked you a cake because she's so grateful, but like just because it's around, like, oh yeah, I might as well eat it. So it's what's in front of you is what will be consumed. So I think that looking at it from so many different angles is really the, the best way to address. But I think with stress and sleep, I, people know that people know that this is a, a more stressful job. They know it's more sleep deprivation. What I like to focus on with those is how is nutrition either supporting that or how is nutrition making both of those things worse and, or what's the connection between it all? So when we're sleep deprived and we're stressed, we're already in a higher sympathetic state. We're already going to crave more carbohydrate. We're already going to look for a pick me up from a stimulant and then we can, that cycle can continue. So where is that break in point? And that may be different for each individual. Is it, Hey, we have this, ritual of my favorite for all listeners, uh, all sleep is tart cherry juice and Greek yogurt and magnesium. And the two hours prior to bedtime, help with sleep quality, sleep quantity. But can we integrate something like that? That it's not such a high dose of any one of those things that it makes it difficult to wake up on a night call, but it can help with better quality when we're able to get the sleep we can. So looking at little integrations and I'm a huge um, supporter of looking at adaptogen support in that as well. Um, and just figuring out where's that, where's the break in. Cause I think, yeah, for everybody, it's so different, but um, oftentimes that, that hormone piece can be a big motivator for uh, a lot of the males. As soon as you say the word testosterone, people come around and that's kind of the pain point I push on too with sleep. I give them that statistic from that big study at University of Chicago and they're like, oh, so Kelsey, you said the word adaptogens and I'm not sure all of my listeners even know what that means. So can you kind of take us down that path a little bit? What exactly is an adaptogen? Yeah. So in utilization of those in my nutrition practice, um, I look at some of the herbal support that exists, um, especially as it relates to calming down some of the sympathetic uh, nervous system and supporting um, lessened anxiety and lessened um, depressive symptoms and uh, things like ashwagandha um, is kind of an easy uh, easy herb, if you will, that people tend to tolerate really well. Um, obviously, with any sort of um, supplementation, you want to look at third-party verification. Where is it coming from? Is it a reputable company? Stuff like that. Um, Rhodiola is another one, Rhodiola rosea, that I really like in utilizing in um, this population. They can be really helpful with sleep. If we're really dialed up, a lot of rumination of thought prior to bedtime or you're constantly waking up and you're running through that to-do list in your head, um, that's one area that we can focus on to help bring support in congruence with this multiply. When I'm a part of this multiple, multiple disciplinary team, that we have cognitive performance to come in with the nutrition support at the same time. And we have neurofeedback to also come in and dive in. We're you know, so lucky with the resources that exist at South Metro, um, but really approaching it from multiple avenues. And I think that even if you don't have all of those resources, looking at strategically, what can I be doing to kind of like give myself a, a leg up knowing I'm not going to change the job, nor do I want to. There's so many 
um, beautiful reasons why people who tolerate fight or flight better are really, really great at the, the work. Um, but looking at how do we help them dial down, especially on their off days and are we, have we been up on calls all night and then we're doubling down to like a super challenging workout. Um, but looking at that nervous system, I think is such a, a huge, huge aspect of, of this work as a whole and yeah, adaptogen support from ashwagandha and rolliola are my favorite, but doesn't mean they're the only ones. There's mushrooms that can function as adaptogens as well. And, um, looking at, uh, uh a whole, you could do a whole hour long lecture of, of adaptogens, which I'm hoping to do in the new year at, a, at South Metro. I think Kelsey just booked herself for a second appearance. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned you, do you work still with some private clients? Mm-hmm. I do. Yep. And can you work with people that do not live in the state of Colorado? Yes. Yep. You can. Yes. So if one of my listeners is their interest is peaked and they say, man, I think I really need to work with a dietitian." And I'm just like picking up what Kelsey's laying down would messaging you on social media be the best way to get a hold of you or how, how do we contact Kelsey? Yeah. The, the easiest way I am self admittedly, I mean, Megan is just, she sets up on social media to such a high degree that I, I feel so and I just, I suck at it is the baseline. Um, basically, because I don't give enough of my brain attention to it. But um, the best way to reach me is likely through the website or I'm at Be Well Colorado on um, Instagram. I have a hard time putting like so much nutrition information because every time I type something out, I'm like, Ooh, but it depends for this population and this population. So I struggle with that a little bit. But uh, my website is also a uh, be well, Colorado, just be the letter B and then well, Colorado at, uh, be well, Colorado.com. So, um, those are the easiest ways to, to get a hold of me. But yeah, I think that as a whole too, um, Megan, uh, Diana, when, uh, I came in on the, la- the 11th hour of editing for the new firefighter resource that CPSDA put out. So that's a huge one with what can nutrition do in this space, um, for our tactical interest group. For the dietitians, we created a 10 reasons to hire a dietitian or to bring on board a dietitian. What can we bring value add to an organization? Um, so I think that those are huge things, especially in departments thinking like, yeah, this sounds great, but like, what, how do we even do this? Like what, it, a lot of things that Scott said to me when I first started was like, what are we, a spa? And I said, you know, maybe we should start reframing, not a spa, but like reframing what taking care of yourself looks like and putting priority on keeping people retained in the job and getting people back to duty quicker and reducing insurance costs. And um, dietitians can play a huge role in all those different aspects of, of support for a department. Well, I've been saying for probably four years now, so the timeline has now moved to six years from now. So four years ago, I said within a decade, every department of any substantial size within the United States will have an embedded professional. So mark my words, within six years, most departments of any size will have an embedded professional. And and we're starting to see it. I mean, Oklahoma City Fire just put out a... I don't love what they did with the job because they're hiring an athletic trainer, which I think is fantastic. That's a great first hire, but they're asking them to be a health and wellness coordinator. 
So they want them to be able to talk about nutrition and sleep and exercise and lead academy classes. And it's a lot (laughs) for an athletic trainer, but Oklahoma city fire is going to have an embedded professional. And I keep hearing these little murmurings of these jobs. So things are turning around. Good, And it It is good. It feels cool. I mean, I feel like I'm coming in maybe a little later to the party than some of the people who have really laid the groundwork. Um, but so grateful for that and so grateful for the momentum because the care again is so deserved. And I think that same struggle has been had in so many professional and collegiate and tactical areas of whose role is what and who can we, can't you just talk about everything? Um, and I think there's something to be, to be said about what does appropriate referral look like, even if that person isn't necessarily embedded, but being able to, to comment intelligently on like, Hey, here, I know the strength coaches have these offerings. I know athletic training has these offerings. That's not my area of expertise, but like, let's, let's get you connected. I think yes. there's a really, um, a, a direction that we can all go. And I, I don't want to, I don't want to know all the things I, as a dietitian, I don't want to know all the answers. I want to be able to appropriately refer to people who are so much smarter than me in different areas. And, um, especially when I feel beyond my scope. So I think that the same thing can be said with any embedded asset and especially reaching out to, to other professionals who are trying to elevate the space as well. Yeah. So, 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 so good. Six more years, Kelsey. Six, Six more, more years. years. <laughs> All right. I always talk, uh, I didn't ask you before the podcast, but I always like to talk about dogs. Do you have any? No, but my youngest child is obsessed. Oh, tell me more. Obsessed. How old is your youngest? It's almost two. Two. Okay. Do you see yourself getting a family dog anytime soon? At some point, for sure. Okay. My husband and I both travel a bit, which makes having a dog a hair more challenging. But <sighs> yeah, yeah we rough. definitely want want a dog. Yeah, the littlest one. We, I mean, we had to take good dog Carl to school today. Really? The book. <laughs> well, here's my thing. I was obsessed also at around that same age. Probably, you know, I was probably 18 months old and my grandpa came to visit us and he wanted to take me for a walk. And my mom knew how obsessed I was with dogs. And so she said to him, listen, like the only rule is do not let her pet strange dogs. Okay. My grandpa's like, okay. And we came back from the walk. I was super excited. Mommy, mommy, I got to pet a dog. (laughs) And my mom was like, what the hell happened? And my grandpa's like, well, I had to let her because she said, pat that strange dog, grandpa. I had to let her. She asked. <laughs> That's exactly my youngest. He will sprint after other dogs at the park. Yeah. So just you like had... beeline away from mom and dad and just sprint away. <laughs> you probably just better get your own dog, Kelsey. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I can help you pick it out if you'd like. That was so sweet. I'm big fan of the bully breeds. So yeah. they're all yeah. so, I mean, I love dogs, grew up with them and yeah, well, eventually we'll, we'll satisfy that tiny human's little desire to have a dog. <laughs> Okay. Thank you. Cause otherwise my heart's going to hurt. Uh, so good. All right, Kelsey, this has been such a great conversation and I'm so glad you booked yourself for a second appearance. We'll get that on the books. <laughs> I'll get my uh, brush up on my slides of, uh, of <laughs> more so maybe we can do gut health. That's probably a bigger, Ooh. bigger passion area of mine in this space. Okay. We can have the South Metro series and then we can have the Kelsey Bailey oh, God. <laughs> dietetics series. Yikes. We got many series going on now. 
All right, listeners, thank you for joining us. I'm going to put all of Kelsey's contact information in the show notes. Kelsey, this has been such a pleasure. And with that, we're going to drop the mic. AZ and Kelsey are officially out. Thank you. Okay, Annette and Kelsey are back. We aren't quite done. We had to say something else. Kelsey, Kelsey, say it again about food quality. Say it again. Um, What you put in is what you can't expect to get out. Tell me more. Tell me more. Your body is like a car and we're type type of fuel matters. So if we're trying to put diesel into an engine, it may not run that effectively. So... um, 100% when we think about all the different um, food items that we bring in and whether they're causing more inflammation or reducing it, what we put in is what we can expect to get out. And one great analogy, I think it was on the Ready State podcast, um, was if you're given one, if you were told at 16, you're going to get one car for your entire life, how many times would you take it in for an oil change? How nice would you keep the outside? What type of fuel would you put in? Would you put the gas pedal down all the way or would you drive it really safely knowing this is the only car you're going to get your whole life? And our bodies are the same. I mean, obviously on a higher stakes level, but we tend to treat them so differently because we don't have that same mindset with regard to its longevity. Have the same reverence for your body as you would have for a car you have to drive your entire life. That's so good. So good. Okay, now we're officially out. Yeah, take the foot (laughs) off the gas pedal sometimes too, everybody. Let that nervous system recover. I love it. Kelsey and Annette are finished. Over and out. (laughs) Over and out.